Hello, and welcome to 19 Hits the Dragon, the tabletop RPG discussion and interview podcast. I'm your host and uh, world's okayest game master, Mike Daniel. Uh, and today being joined by a very special guest, uh, Reed of uh, Deimos Paradox and Bring Your Own Mech. Reed, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing just um, great. Thanks for joining me. Just to make sure it is recording, right? Because I don't yeah, see my yeah, waveform anywhere. We're okay. Good. Just checking. I, I've got it on my end, so it's, all, right, that's, good, it's all good. good. <laughs> I yeah, know Zencaster no. can be a little wonky. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day. Beautiful Saturday. Finally. Excellent. <laughs> yes, and it, it's it's great to have some warm weather. I know you're somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, I think. Yes, and you're in Chicago. It. It's been Especially all over the place. wet winter and spring. And mm. this is one of the first days we've had clear skies in a while so once we're done here well, i'm going out in my garden <laughs> absolutely and and congratulations and much much deserves some time in the sun um had some some nice days here in chicago and now it's rainy again so waiting for that warmth to come back around uh, in a couple <laughs> of weeks probably um but yeah thanks for for joining me uh today really excited to get to chat um i i'd like to give you a sec to you know tell our listeners a little bit about uh, about yourself here as well so who who the heck are you reed yeah um hi so i'm reed my pronouns are they them and uh i am the game master for two lancer actual play uh podcasts out there uh my first project was the demos paradox um and the second one which is probably the more popular one these days for good reason is bring your own mech um and uh yeah i've been let's see what else is relevant about me um oh i am a scientist irl i'm a, a molecular biologist and i'm going uh to actually go get my phd in genetics in the next few months here so very awesome. excited to start that new life stage um and that's kind of my uh my perspective from RPGs is from my background as scientist. Awesome. Um, Maybe the most learned person guest that we've had on the show. So that's, that's <laughs> exciting. Um, not to speak, you know, poorly of any of our other guests. No, I think no, just as far not. as like level of education, that's that's uh, probably the, the I top also tier have from our two bachelor's so degrees, which is pretty uh, uh, weird. Uh, so yeah, it's it's hard it's hard to get more than that. <laughs> for sure well uh yeah really excited to uh to have you on the show and i know you mentioned just now that you kind of use your uh background in um like uh, scientific education to influence uh, how you uh run games what you bring into your games yeah um so tell me a little bit uh, about that and kind of why that's your uh your take on things your yeah. approach i guess so um, uh, I guess, you know, I, I should have explained this a little bit earlier when I said Lancer uh, podcast. So anyone that's not familiar with Lancer, it is a uh, mecha anime style RPG that's sort of a love letter to like D&D 4E is kind of the mm. system it's somewhat based on from what I understand. Um, so 
It's a fun, crunchy, very anime system where you get to build modular robots. And of course, it being a sci-fi system is set, uh, especially um, Bring Your Own Mech and the Damn's Paradox are set primarily in space and Mm -hmm. on strange new worlds. And so um, I think what I love to, uh, that as a scientist, I am very passionate about the natural world and I am passionate about bringing those elements of the natural world into my games to make them even more weird. And in some <laughs> ways, uh, you know, raising the stakes uh, or injecting horror into situations, um, it's a very versatile tool. Um, so, so for me, anyway, uh, science fiction is one of my favorite genres, and that is something that I'm always I'm always looking to take real world science and putting it into my games as sort of a fun tool um scary tool also educational tool mm-hmm. uh, which i'm sure my cast gets annoyed every once in a while when i like all right who wants <laughs> Hang to on, learn about bacteria today yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or um but here's the thing too is that it can also be incredibly useful for fantasy ca- campaigns as mm. well um yeah. and it's a way to uh well i'll talk about this a little bit later but i had some thinks about how um the natural world and science and biology are really great uh wells of uh inspiration to pull from for campaign ideas for settings Mm -hmm. for uh, monsters um i mean truth is stranger than fiction so yeah Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't get more succinct than that, that, you know, truth is, is very often stranger than fiction. We can take, spend all of the time that we want as uh, game masters, designers, you know, storytellers in, in general, trying to come up with weird and wild things to put into our worlds. But sometimes the weirdest thing we can find is something that exists in reality. Exactly. Um, Awesome. So let's, yeah, I guess let's kind of dive into it a little bit. Um, I know you said you had some some things about how you can kind of use those those things to influence your campaign. So uh, yeah. tell me about some some ideas you you, uh, you brought to the table. Yeah, because obviously, like this this is all about uh, you know giving game masters, dungeon masters, the tools to inject science into their own campaigns Mm -hmm. to make their worlds and their characters feel unique. Um, And so uh, one of the things I mentioned before was monster creation, Mm -hmm. because uh, something that I, uh, I have a lot of fun with is I love to think of monsters that are rooted in the real world in real creatures that exist Mm, and that's what's fun is that you could use all kinds of weird stuff as a jumping off point for something really cool and unique and especially i think for like podcasters Mm -hmm. the way to set your show apart you know why why fight the entire greek pantheon again uh for the (laughs) millionth time when you could uh, fight a tardigrade i don't know but you know (laughs) or have you ever seen a giant earthworm mm, those things are terrifying they're like 10 feet long not Mm -hmm. quite 10 feet long but they're huge they're they're massive yeah yeah bigger than than worms have any right being for sure yes it's the most (laughs) terrifying thing i've ever seen it's like it's like when you look at it you're like is this 
am I in, you know, millions of years in the past, like when mm, bugs mm-hmm. were the size of cars, <laughs> you know, that kind of when shit. When did I get transported to Arrakis? That's what I want to know. Uh, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, but so in, in Bring Your Own Mech, um, it's a slight spoilers for people that uh, are listening. So, you know, just bear in mind, but I'll try to keep any plot twists and whatever to myself. But uh, one of my favorite homebrew bits that I did for Lancer, it was pretty simple homebrew, um, nothing too complicated, mm-hmm. but I was like, you know what? I love uh, the idea of a derelict spaceship that houses some uh, n- a weird creature that mm-hmm. hunts the crew. And, you know, we've done the whole like, oh, the, the zombies thing, or, you know, there's all kinds of like other... Uh, creatures that you could pick but I was like you know what's scary mm. is a creature that's just a blob like mm. but uh, it's something that uh, but not just a blob because you know that it's made up of millions and billions of individuals um, that mm. is a colony and uh, and that it grows at a terrifying speed and uh, it also eats actual electricity rather than having to subsist on carbohydrates like Mm -hmm. a lot of organisms do like us included you know we have to eat stuff with sugar in it and we convert that sugar into energy in our bodies Mm -hmm. but what's cool is that there are some organisms that exist that have completely cut out that process and they actually literally they can take electrons uh, that energy, that charge, electricity from the air and water and metal around them. Um, awesome. And so these are bacteria, is what mm-hmm. I'm getting at. And right. but like bacteria, is that really that scary? But <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, small ones maybe not, but it, a big bacteria, a co- huge yeah. colony of bacteria, and, like, and a derelict like, spaceship. That's yeah. terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, you know, the gelatinous cube 2.0. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I was thinking of like the, the old sci fi movie, The Blob. I'm like sitting here, like, yeah, yeah, run, don't walk. It's The Blob. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And so then I was like, okay, so, uh, you know, obviously bacteria don't really behave like this in real life, but, mm-hmm. you know, that's the, that's the jumping off point. The, uh, right. The inspiration, the inspiration. point is. Yeah bacteria that eat electricity and we have uh i mean we're playing a mecha anime role-playing game mm-hmm. all of my characters mm-hmm. all my player characters are piloting mechs that are powered by electricity mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah and here's know, a monster that's gonna eat that the power it. source exactly and, <laughs> and then what, if that what do you do could yeah. also literally sap you of electrons Ooh, in your yeah. body and mm. uh because if they can take it out of the water in the air mm-hmm. you know so so then i kind of created this electron uh eating sucking monster that uh was a lot of fun and it's great because now my my crew is slightly traumatized by this monster. <laughs> so I brought it up. No, this is the funniest thing. I brought it up as like a, you know, a, like a little nod. Like, oh, yeah, they recovered that monster. And now they're trying to, uh, you know, they're working on how to use it to power a station, you know. Because mm-hmm. um, that's the other thing, too. World building. Like, what are other applications of this bacteria? Right. Um, 
and I thought that was just like gonna be a cute like oh yeah look it's there like a little callback and then they were like oh my god it has to die in fire and I was like guys it's like it's fine it's not an evil thing it just right. wanted to eat and now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's contained and it's being fed and people are looking for a way to harness it for uh for basically uh providing a clean energy source and what's Mm -hmm. really cool is that that part too is based in real life because scientists are currently looking at these bacteria species uh to possibly power our personal electronic devices in the future nice we might have phones made with bacteria in them in the future y'all because they basically they have these like little uh what they call kind of like nanowires they're pilia that actually conduct electricity and so they're thinking of figuring out a way to use those to conduct electricity uh inside your phones as opposed to traditional materials mm-hmm. as a more sustainable option for uh technology use oh that's fascinating i know i know it's super cool um and, and you know because like the conducting electricity efficiently mm-hmm. is a really difficult problem in engineering bacteria could be the answer um hmm. but you know so i like to balance things with the terror mm-hmm. of, but also <laughs> with the like positivity of science because i i, I mm-hmm. dislike making scientists my villains um, mm, consistently right. in campaigns it's because that's a trope that while it's fun i love mm. a good evil scientist i also love to portray scientists in a positive light because really right. you know they are making our lives better but anyhow <laughs> <laughs> for sure no a lot of really great things there and uh yeah i kind of went off on a, a tangent in my head when you were talking about using the bacteria as uh like powering phones and technology and stuff. And like, that's a, a whole like setting that I'm starting to develop now for like a cyberpunk world, basically. That I know, uses, right? Uses Wouldn't that, that be uh, so cool? No, seriously. Tech, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and just imagine um, because you could, you could even make, if you're going cyberpunk, you could make it, uh, it, it might even be a way that, um, you know, personal, like, you know, modifications, cybernetic mm-hmm. modifications right. could be implemented, right? Mm-hmm. Because Using we already bacteria to like have connect bacteria with the... living yeah, inside yeah. of us. Exactly. You know, we have bacteria all over the place. And a lot of times, I mean, humans, we have a, uh, you know, um, symbiotic relationship with them, you know. Mm-hmm. They provide us stuff that we need and they, they break down foods that we can't break down ourselves. And we give them food <laughs> and <laughs> exactly. a place to live. And- Yeah. And then, you know, you can just take that to the next level of like, they are also providing that interface for the, you know, cybernetic limbs or implants that you've got in your body. And uh, that's fascinating. I know, right? (laughs) The uh, the prospects are like making my mind go (laughs) off in all directions right now. So thank you for sharing that with us today. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, it's a really great point about using that uh, as a, the jumping off point. Like you said, I think there's also something to be said about kind of using those things to like wow your players with as well. Yeah. Uh, I remember from one of my own games, maybe like six, seven years ago, 
uh, back when I was playing D&D 3.5 and I led the players into like this deep dark cave and they get in there and all of a sudden there's like small little lights on the ceiling and they're like oh what's going on and they look up and it's these like moss things with that are creating their own light with bioluminescence oh, and yes. <laughs> I remember one of the players went oh man I wish there was something like that in the real world and I went buddy <laughs> I have something to tell you <laughs> tell you about glow worms yes <laughs> and lots of other creatures that produce their own light mm -hmm. that's great yeah it was it was a really really <laughs> great really great moment um uh, i think i it was like everybody else in the party like kind of turned to him and was like did you really just say that? <laughs> okay so <laughs> we're gonna have a little, we're gonna pause and educate you on something real quick buddy and then then we'll continue our game <laughs> i love it i love it uh, so there's always, always room for little scientific lessons in your, your tabletop RPGs, right? So. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> Excellent. So, yeah, let's, let's talk about some more like ways to, um, you know, potentially apply things. I know when we had chatted before, uh, you had talked about kind of the prospects of like AI, like artificial intelligence kind of yeah. being incorporated. So um, any, uh, any, any uh, hot takes on <laughs> bringing AI into your games? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the question of AI is really interesting, and it's one that's really important to the core of Lancer. It's uh, because mm -hmm. of there's a group of NPCs that are called non-human persons that okay. they are essentially, they, they're not legally considered AI because AI are much more rudimentary, are not mm -hmm. sentient. But these are essentially AI that are sentient. They're self-aware um but they also um they they are also sort of like it's called shackling where they cycle through um like algorithms designed to keep them from basically going like how on you know 2001 okay. space odyssey right, essentially right. is that if they if they're not cycled regularly they will start to cascade meaning they'll start to question things like what is life Mm -hmm. Am I alive? Are these human ants really living beings? You know, it, maybe I'm a god. And maybe it is the way of gods to, uh, you know, crush the ants under their thumb. You mm. know, th things like that. Of course, it's like a little bit of a pessimistic view of uh, of AI and the potential for AI. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in my work, I've actually worked a bit with AI, um, some in, uh, in uh, like the uh, biotech sphere, basically using it to predict uh, uh, things about proteins that we haven't characterized is basically what it is. So uh, proteins are, you know, uh, basically things that do work in your body, like mm. really commonly they're enzymes, etc. And essentially, we use proteins in a lot of ways. Uh, one of the biggest ways in like medicine is that we use proteins for therapy um, for mm. various diseases. Uh, these proteins will go and they'll do a thing. They'll maybe they'll block something, or maybe they'll catalyze a process in your body that your body doesn't do on its own. You know, there's there's lots of things like that. Um, and so, what's cool is that AI are making the process of developing pharmaceuticals way faster and more efficient hmm. okay. um 
because they're able to make connections that humans don't. But the problem with that, too, is that if we're not making those connections, we don't always know if the AIs are making good connections or bad connections. Hmm. And that's the trick about AI and using AI at this stage is that um, I had a professor once say that we're at the very, very bottom of an enormous data wave right now. And that we have to be very careful of how we move next because we have all this data. We have these amazing tools like deep learning AI, which essentially it's, it's not like, um, like machine learning, basically you tell an AI, you give it a training set Mm -hmm. and then you say, okay, now apply this training set to other things. And it's fine, but it's very rudimentary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Deep learning AI's, work more like human brains. Uh, They start to make connections with other things. And and basically, the more data you feed them, the more they learn. But you also do have to curate that information. So basically, we're at the bottom of this data wave. We got to make sure it doesn't crash over us. Crash on top of us. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's very, very very interesting. But in general, kind of like I was saying before, is that I love to inject science into my campaigns, but I try to not make science the villain, Mm -hmm. if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. I think uh, because while I have, you know, done some uh, like a recent arc that we did uh, was based around a science experiment gone wrong. Mm -hmm. But but the scientists were not like evil. They're trying to help people and the Mm -hmm. technology they developed will help people in the future, but things happened that caused uh, issues that our crew had to deal with. Um, And so that's something that I like to tell people, you know, is that uh, science is not the enemy and that I, you know, prefer to make it. um, So I prefer to put a positive spin on things as much Mm -hmm. as possible. Um, obviously it's super fun to use science to make monsters and um, to have an evil scientist or whatever, but, um, but I think the, the problem is in modern society, there is like a very strong anti-science movement out there um, that likes to villainize uh, scientists. And so I try to feed into that as little as possible. And AI is one aspect. I think that a lot of people, they immediately think, Oh, it's Skynet, it's Terminator, mm-hmm. you know, right. or it's Vicky from iRobot, you know, is that they're, they're <laughs> going to take us, they're going to take over, they're going right. to kill everything. Um, and, and while like those stories are fun, I think uh, what can be really interesting too is, well, if we are the ones giving information uh, and data to AI, you know, will they be more like us? Will will we be able to teach them things like empathy? Um, what does that look like? And those those kinds of narratives you see a lot in um, in TV and movies too. I, and I always find those yeah, I mean, really interesting. Like, yeah, I was just gonna say, you know, speaking of iRobot, to uh, the other side of Vicky, you have uh, Sunny. Yeah. Uh, who is a machine that is learning empathy, right? Exactly, which um, is why it's one of my favorite movies. I know it's so cheesy, <laughs> but I really <laughs> love that movie. I I love that. I, I love it so much. And what is so cool too is, you know, at the end of that movie, sorry, spoilers, everybody, 
that for sunny? a movie that's like ten years old. Yeah, well, almost. Oh, that. geez, I just looked at I just looked it up, and it was two thousand four, so it is Whoa. almost twenty years old. So yeah, you just know, feeling it, old for a second here, but I sorry. know, right? Seriously, I. <laughs> But, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, Sonny becomes sort of the person to, uh, you know, lead the revolution of empathy amongst mm-hmm. the other robots, you know? Yeah. Um, so AI is something that I think it can be a lot of fun to play with. And you can also play with it in your fantasy games as well. I think that mm-hmm. there's a lot of room for... Um, uh, for kind of in- injecting things like if you uh, have settings with like clockwork uh, creatures, mm-hmm. I know because right. uh, of course that's really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the Warforged yeah. also in D five E. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I was just going to say my game. my Eberron game. We've got uh, some Warforged. There's a Warforged NPC that our players have kind of adopted because he oh, was, yeah. you know, listless. Uh, basically, uh, he was a soldier before and now he's trying to figure his life out and yeah. like what does life mean for a robot that was designed to fight and now there's not a fight anymore right exactly <laughs> um, there's yeah. some some really interesting uh stories that can be told there for sure yeah because really the questions about ai are questions about us yeah at the end of the day um and questions about human psychology and i think a lot of people um there there's kind of two camps where people are like, well, uh, we made the AI in our image, so they're going to be like us. Mm, and then there's mm-hmm. some people that are like, we made AI, but they are not like us, and they mm-hmm. can transcend us. And they have what the they chance transcend to be something to new. Yeah. May, uh, may, who knows what that will be. Um, and I think both questions are really interesting to answer and are things that I uh, have been, that are kind of themes in my ongoing campaigns um, that I find that question to be very interesting. And especially like in the Deimos paradox where it's much more mm-hmm. of a plot point, I have multiple characters that are NHPs that have like cascaded in very different ways. Oh, and that's some of them have you know kind of almost gone to a higher plane of existence that they they don't relate to mortal things because they are not of that world right Mm -hmm. but then there's Mm -hmm. some that hang on to those mortal things that relate to the human experience and i think that maybe that's more what ais if they do become sentient in the future who knows Mm -hmm. i feel like that is maybe more going to be what the experience will be it's going to really depend on uh the individual like all people (laughs) absolutely yeah i mean you're 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 mentioning these things and immediately i'm also thinking of like you know in in fantasy settings you have like elves and dwarves who are creatures that live for much longer time spans than than oh yeah so they and they have kind of have to by their nature of that have to kind of transcend into something that is other uh like almost like a higher state of consciousness right and the the interesting stories with those creatures are the ones that are trying to hold on to or maybe not trying to hold on to but still interacting with the human side of themselves um and then you think of like like lord of the rings you have uh, aragon and (laughs) yeah aragorn and and uh arwen uh who really display that that dichotomy and then her 
dad who's like no we're gonna go away from from humans forever basically um, yeah so yeah i think there no. are a lot of really great ways to apply these same concepts even if it's not just with Exactly. And, and thinking about it too, with the elves again, you know, imagine if you live so long, like basically your brain is almost a supercomputer at that point, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how, how detached from reality would you be if you close your eyes and a thousand years go by, you know, in, in a blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, what's so interesting is that really you could, you could go that route with, elves that could be a really fun way to portray them as being almost inert supercomputers of but the they're these beings that they weren't always like this but they're mm-hmm. just around for so long um they become almost omniscient but anyhow <laughs> yeah no there's a going back again to eperon there is kind of a, a council of elves that have sort of become that where they've also kind of gone the the lich route where they are uh. immortal undead beings but continuing with their same consciousness and are a yeah. sort of collective um and it yeah i mean very much I mean, exists in that that, same that transhumanist main. sort of yeah. uh through line is yeah very much part of that ai conversation mm-hmm. as well um which that's like a lich's 100 transhumanist mm-hmm. it, they're they're basically cyborgs baby <laughs> magic cyborgs pretty much i mean <laughs> you're transferring yeah, no, your consciousness to a different body or to a, a you know dead body or whatever right article Something like and, that. yeah or or some or something you know right. to live forever yeah so uh oh here's my dog now in the background hi bubby hello <laughs> you come to say hi did you feel like i wasn't paying attention to you but uh yeah i so i have um excuse me so i have some other i have some other notes too if you want yeah yeah to. for sure i was just about to ask if you had any other ideas about you know ways to, to implement this uh these ideas so yeah what, what else you got so another one of my favorite genres is horror mm, and same. i think that horror but also you don't have to do horror but just uh, you know raising the stakes in your game in general um you know it, it can be greatly enhanced by injecting a little bit of real world physics real world Mm -hmm. science uh different concepts um and i find that that helps horror campaigns because Mm -hmm. um let me find my little notes here Uh, my stupid mic is in the way dang it mike why are you in the way all the time (laughs) i i literally have two screens and my mic and somehow the still still the mic is, is in the still way. the nope. mic is always in the way a, a, as a, a mic um i feel that though so <laughs> you're not in the way <laughs> um, but um but yeah in terms of like real world physics uh so for instance most of uh, well <laughs> the two campaigns that i am running currently both mm-hmm. take place a lot of the game in space in the mm-hmm. expanse of space. Um, and I think that people don't really realize this, how terrifying space is. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, But not only that, but places on Earth, too, 
can be very terrifying for similar reasons mm. as space. Um, so like, for instance, I think that I discussed a little bit of the Biford dolphin incident with you when we were chatting before. We, we, ch- we chatted about it a little bit, but feel free yeah. to, to bring some more detail now. Yeah. So basically the Biford dolphin incident is one of my favorite things to like, listen and read about which is a little morbid because <laughs> it's, it's a horrible accident. It's a mm. horrible diving bell accident. Um, but it's really interesting because the studies that have come out of it, the information that we've gotten is fascinating about how, uh, human flesh bags that are mostly made of water, Mm. of how we are affected by, uh, atmospheric pressure. And, so basically, the diving bell accident itself, um, essentially, these um, folks are living in this little tiny room that is um, pressurized at about nine atmospheres. For reference, at surface level um, on Earth, the atmosphere is at one. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, you're at a much greater pressure. And this is to simulate the pressure at the bottom of the ocean. Most of these diving right. bell crews, they're going down to work on like, uh, uh, you know, like a deep sea pipelines and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like that. And so basically to live down there, they have to um, slowly get you acclimated to the change in pressure. And also they have to like, uh, inject a ton of different uh, gases and stuff. Like I think a lot of the time they have to use a significant amount of helium in mm. the uh, air that they breathe at the bottom of the ocean. Um, I think it has to do with nitrogen in your blood. Um, there's some like interaction with helium or something. I can't remember exactly. I'm not mm-hmm. very good with gases. I'm going to leave that to the chemists. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Essentially, it's really funny because if you've ever seen videos of people that, you know, are that do this for a living, that are, you know, deep sea divers, mm-hmm. they literally, they talk like Mickey Mouse because mm. there's so much helium in the air that they have to breathe, but that's how they survive. Uh, so the Biford Dolphin incident, um, they were coming back in for a job. And basically they had their main living compartment at the surface of the ocean Mm -hmm. uh, next to the station. And uh, that living, and so the diving bell is like an elevator that basically takes them from the top to the bottom. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were transferring from the diving bell into their little living space. Um, And something happened where they opened the wrong hatch. Ooh. And, uh, and somehow they, uh, I think that they, they, they're not sure how this happened, but basically the result was that they had to, uh, put in a ton of safety stuff to make Mm, sure mm -hmm. that you couldn't open the wrong hatch by accident ever. Right. Uh, but essentially they went from nine atmospheres to one atmosphere. Oof. And, uh, bodies were pulled through small holes at, very quick speeds because mm-hmm. of that pressure di- differential. Um, They're basically ripped apart. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them, except for one person died. Um, 
I think it was like four people died. One person who was on the outside when it happened um, wasn't in the pressurized chamber, was Mm -hmm. very injured, but lived. Okay. Um, But probably because, uh, but but the thing is, is that at pressures like that, you know, you have nitrogen in your blood Mm -hmm. and at certain pressures, uh, it will actually like, um, it, it, it will ca- cause bubbles, which is what like causes the bends, the bends. Right? Yeah, yeah. If you, if you change, if you're, if you're diving and you go up too fast, then mm-hmm. you'll get nitrogen bubbles in your blood and it's not good. You don't want bubbles in your blood. <laughs> Generally um, frowned upon having bubbles in your blood is. But yeah. also that when they, when they like looked at these guys later, um, they found that like, uh, their, um, Oh God, was it their lipids or I forget exactly what it was, but there was, um, basically they're, they're finding all kinds of weird things that happened to them that either that evaporated, like their blood evaporated and their, uh, you know, they're like, um, I think their fats, like, you know, completely solidified. It was just, yeah. Um, terrifying. Yeah, I, you know, uh, don't come at me if I get a few of the physiological facts wrong, uh, because I know I'm the scientist, but I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm not a physiologist, (laughs) but uh, basically it was nasty. There is a lot of nasty stuff that happened. Um, And that's horrifying. Yeah. And, (laughs) you know, and and I think that's what's kind of fun, uh, you know, not to take this huge, like, gross detour into uh, what happens to your body when you go from nine to one atmosphere. Uh, But it's it's kind of it's fun when in my games, specifically in science fiction games, but you could do a lot of other stuff with this, too. Mm -hmm. Like, say Mm -hmm. you have Atlantis in your game Mm -hmm. or some some underground uh, or not underground, underwater city, you know, at the bottom mm-hmm. of the ocean or something. Um, these are like very real concerns. Uh, and so like movies like Underwater, if you've ever watched that, is a mm. ton of fun um, because of this, because one of the biggest fears is that if something happens to the structural integrity of their like station at the bottom mm-hmm. of the ocean, everyone's dead. It's right. not like, oh no, you're at the surface and your boat sprung a leak. And right. oh it, no, I'm going to have to like tread water until somebody finds me. Mm-hmm. Like there's at least maybe a chance of survival there. Mm-hmm. But underwater, if something goes wrong, you're That's done. It. Yeah. yeah. That's literally it. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. dead and uh, we may never find your body. <laughs> yeah. For sure. I I think there's, you know, a a lot of uh, implications there of, you know, things getting crushed by all of the weight of the ocean or, you know, as we've just been talking about the other side of it, where you don't get crushed, but you do get jettisoned up to maybe one atmosphere when you had been at, you know, nine or whatever. And that's a whole other set of problems. And you're not coming back from that. A hundred (laughs) percent. And besides the fact, too, that, you know, going back to our monster talk, that mm-hmm. there's all kinds of really cool creatures at the bottom of the ocean too. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, colossal squid, of course, are mm-hmm. awesome, but there's all kinds of really cool stuff that just like um, 
you know, especially when it comes to like we were talking before about bioluminescence. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just thinking about you know, anglerfish, actually. I'm like, exactly. Oh, yeah. I mean, anglerfish Terrifying are classic. Looking, but, oh, yeah. 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 Or vampire squid. Mm. Uh, there's all kinds of like horrific looking creatures down there. And what's so interesting is that basically their bodies are like, if you bring them to the surface, they're almost like melting. <laughs> you yeah, know, like, that... They can't, their mm-hmm. form doesn't hold like it does at nine atmospheres mm-hmm. they're they're designed to live at that depth and right. uh and and that's what's so cool and so alien about them uh because that that's how they evolved um mm-hmm. and so you can of course like go absolutely nuts with some terrifying deep sea monsters for sure you know who wants to fight the kraken for the millionth time when mm. you could fight like some sort of weird uh serpentine creature that has a mouth that is suddenly just opens up out of nowhere and it's like the size of a house mm-hmm. like i mean there's there's all kinds of incredible things you can do and besides the fact too with bioluminescence there's uh the tactics of predators are oftentimes mm-hmm. to lure prey in you know here's what i want i want some deep sea sirens you know, mm, where they don't yeah. sing to you, but they lure you in with lights. Mm. And then suddenly, and, and then, but they're terrifying. <laughs> yeah. They're not beautiful at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, well, yeah, I imagine do. that the, the lights would be pretty, right? Like really oh, pretty oh, yes. that they're yes. putting out there. Like, ooh, yeah, and alluring, ooh, I want to go. Perhaps, you know, and then maybe suddenly you see this... <laughs> someone you've lost or you ooh, see, yeah. uh, you know, a future that you want for yourself. You see something that you can't help but go closer to see. Mm-hmm. And then by then you're already in its mouth. It's, it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> Not not just a like you know humanoid looking thing down at the bottom of the ocean, but a gigantic, terrifying creature that's um, got a mouth the size of a of a house, and it's too late, like you said. Exactly, <laughs> you're already done. And and so in another like note about the uh, real world physics and stuff mm-hmm. that I love thinking about stuff like that when it comes to world building, because mm-hmm. like I said, if you have an underwater city. You know, what's really cool is to think about, well, how do we live at the bottom of the ocean now? Mm-hmm. What are the kinds of things that are different living about uh, living in a highly pressurized environment where a special mix of gases is being run in so that you can live at that pressure? Um, like, what's that like? Or if there's, um, you know, like, say, maybe you have like tritons in your game or something like, mm-hmm. what do their what do their cities look like? Do they just like totally, uh, you know, and, and are there uh, tritons that live in shallower waters? Mm-hmm. What are the tritons like that don't live in shallower waters? Maybe there's some that live at the bottom of the ocean. How are their lives different? And what is their biology? And uh, mm-hmm. what are they physically like? Um and uh maybe it like like actually i had a character that i made for a scum and villainy game actually nice. um which is like a uh it's a forged in the dark game for those mm-hmm. who don't know that's sort of in the style of firefly um and so i made a xeno which is their word for aliens in that game that was from a people that evolved in the deep sea um Ooh, of their okay. planet 
and that they sort of have qualities that are jellyfish-like in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. And they also have bioluminescence that they used to lure in prey and whatnot. Um, but that specifically they, um, they had, yeah, they had like kind of jellyfish, like tentacle hair or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, just other, other sort of features that are evolved for life in almost total darkness and at great pressures. And, still one of my favorite characters I've ever made. I had a lot of fun like thinking about what their uh, evolutionary life history was like. Mm-hmm. Um, I also got to make lots of jokes about cloacas, which was great. <laughs> Always a good time when you can joke about cloacas. <laughs> cloacas and ovipositors. There you <laughs> <Yes>. go. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, that weirdly comes up a lot in my games with like, you know, lizard folk and, you know, different the different bird peoples and stuff as well. It's, <laughs> it's weird how fascinated my players get about like non-humanoid genitalia, I guess. Is I don't know. But reproductive anyway. organs. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and then thinking about that, too, from a world building uh, perspective, like, mm-hmm. you know, what uh, how do how would lizard folk raise their young you know mm-hmm. and do they raise them like mammals would or would mm-hmm. they raise them more like lizards would in the in the wild but mm-hmm. some yeah. some lizards are more attentive parents than others or like say you have a crocodile for instance they they actually you know will guard their eggs and mm-hmm. and they'll they'll take their little babies around for a swim in their mouth actually right you know do all kinds of stuff like that um and the question is when you have uh you know it's it's interesting to think about these things anyways like what what Mm -hmm. is their life history like you know with birds Mm -hmm. uh with uh aracocra do they have to deal with a certain species of aracocra that will lay their eggs (laughs) in other and other aracocra nests like the Mm -hmm. cuckoo bird (laughs) do they do when they when they're trying to win a mate, do they do like very elaborate dances like birds the do? The birds of paradise dances. Exactly. And, yeah. I mean, and that could be a cool <laughs> now I'm cultural make a... <laughs> thing to think about, you know? Yeah, my I definitely am gonna make a, a character that's an Eric Kokra that's a bird of paradise now, for sure. Oh, 100 <laughs> percent I mean, but that's what's so fun about it, is like yeah. you go like, okay, this is what birds do in real life. What mm-hmm. if they were sentient beings and had a whole culture? And like, what if they're all like dancers? And that's mm. that's their thing is that they they prize dancing above all else because they that's what they do. That's like their primary mode of like communication and interface mm-hmm. with each other are these elaborate dances. Um, I mean, that's what's so fun. I I just love using uh just little little. Uh, scientific facts doesn't even have to be that deep but yeah. you can make whole worlds out of it um i mean my my homebrew world that someday i'll run a campaign in it uh <laughs> is based around the idea that you know the world is basically like mad max you know there's okay. barely any yeah, water yeah. uh it's just dry desert planet so it's a little bit you know a little bit mad max a little bit dune mm-hmm. um but my question was Okay, so if there's if the planet is dying and there's a lack of water, how do people in deserts today, uh, how mm-hmm. do they subsist? 
you know, how do they live? How do they farm? How do they, how do they get the things that they need? Because people have been living in deserts for thousands of years all oh, over yeah. the world. Um, and have come up with all kinds of interesting adaptations to make up for the fact that they have a lack of water. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, so I came up with a lot of really cool systems that were based off of existing techniques, mm-hmm. both ancient and modern, um, to come up with these kind of unique uh, locales within this homebrew world. Um, awesome. Yeah. Because I really like gardening, so horticulture and mm-hmm. uh, agricultural uh, topics like that do really interest me. Um, but I'm not a plant biologist, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just kind of going off of what you're you're talking about here, when Dune was written, I mean, Frank Herbert was very much a um, uh, an ecologist. Like, he had kind of that same fascination as well, right? Like, saw some exactly. interesting creatures in, uh, in the sands of, of Oregon and then kind of went off from there and into desert dwelling and how do people live there? So... Oh, yeah. <laughs> these these uh, ideas that we're, we're batting around, right? Like it's been been used in sci-fi for a long time, and it yeah. sometimes needs a- acknowledging. So yeah, um, and it and it doesn't, and that's the thing though is it doesn't have to be just used in science fiction either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so for sure. All of this is applicable to fantasy, and that you know, injecting. I keep using the word inject, which is very funny to me, but. Um, <laughs> you know, infusing, there we go. There I like go. that. Infusing your world with real science does not in any way take away from the fantastical element. Yeah, not um, at all. And it, it sometimes makes that, brings that fantastical element like closer to home so that you can relate to it more, right? Where yeah. it feels like it's a, a world you can live in because there are these scientific elements that sort of make, things make sense or make things not make sense sometimes as the world often does yeah i mean it just world building um i mean there's there's just so many things that you can look at like uh you know there are there's a species of beetle that is actually being actively studied to uh better design cars because oh, it's because of the way that it's uh, that it's carapace and it's sort of uh, you know chitin casing around its body is mm-hmm. designed or you know designed implies that someone designed it but it evolved this way and mm-hmm. a lot of times body plans will evolve throughout a time and we'll see these body plans show up again and again because they're mm-hmm. pretty optimal you know mm-hmm. hence why everyone's like oh everything just turns into crabs. Because the crab crab, uh, body plan has been a very uh, useful body plan throughout Mm -hmm. uh, evolutionary history. But what's cool about this? Return to crab. Exactly. You know, and this this beetle, the way the uh, the way that its uh, shell uh, has evolved, people think that it uh, basically it kind of like shifts and absorbs uh, impact in a way that doesn't. Mm -hmm harm the beetle and so the idea is like could we design cars this way to improve accident outcomes mm-hmm. um could we design other things this way maybe we could even uh do uh, look to architecture to mm-hmm. apply this for places that experience natural disasters 
uh, which is something that's going to be a lot more uh, pertinent and uh, topical <laughs> in the coming years. Um, oh, yeah. Oh. You know, or uh, there's all kinds of things like I personally am really interested in uh, parthogenesis, which is basically asexual reproduction. Um, and okay. that species th that do this um, are usually uh, species like, um, for instance, you have uh, some, like, I want to say coral, but... I I feel like that's not the organism I'm thinking of, but it's usually not things like mammals, for instance, mm -hmm. that right. asexually reproduce. Usually like fungus or mm -hmm. prokaryotes, bacteria, things like that. Um, but what's cool is that we are finding there are some species that spontaneously uh, uh, undergo parthenogenesis. Mm -hmm. um, and that sometimes this just it can really just happen um, on its own. We know that this has happened with lizards, mm -hmm. um, with sharks. So it kind of makes the plot of Jurassic Park not yeah. seem that uh, that weird. Life uh, finds a way. It really does. <laughs> and so it, it makes it not quite that uh, that far fetched. Yeah. So um, and uh, so I've played around with some uh stuff with that in the past as well because i find i find that topic very interesting um and that that life really does it it really is incredibly mm -hmm. adaptable um to a to a degree that is truly incredible um truth is stranger than fiction after all <laughs> yeah and we come full circle on that for sure <laughs> awesome um yeah i mean we've, we've covered a, a lot of of topics here was there anything else in particular that you were wanting to to chat about or we kind of covered all the bases so far i think we covered most of the bases i think the, right. the only the last thing i wanted to talk about a little was just like where do you find this stuff mm -hmm. how do you yeah. find inspiration oh, like like yeah okay put science in your campaigns but how does a person who's not a trained scientist <laughs> find stuff yeah. you know yeah a very valid question for sure so what what are some some resources that our listeners can use yeah uh, i mean really the biggest thing it's gonna sound really stupid but google um <laughs> You know, yeah. sometimes like, uh, but not just Googling, you know, willy nilly, because one mm -hmm. thing I want to say is like I was talking about before, th there, there is a lot of fake news out there, a lot of fake science. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. <coughs> excuse me. So be responsible and look for reputable sources. Sources usually with a dot org are usually better things mm -hmm. that are uh like like nature uh is a great one um there's scientific american there's um i mean pubmed of course but pubmed is kind of one of those things that uh it can be very intimidating if you're going there looking for inspiration you kind of have to know what you're looking for okay um but it can be a place where you could like if you if you're like I want to find weird bacteria you know maybe don't type that into the PubMed search bar. <laughs> but if you're like if you're interested in like say like oh biotechnology applications of te uh, bacteria, uh you know you should type that into PubMed and see what mm -hmm. pops up and go down the rabbit hole. 
Uh, Wikipedia, of course, is your best friend. That's what I do. I mean, it's a great starting point for sure. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. It's a great starting point. But here's the key is that on Wikipedia, don't take it at face value because again, while Wikipedia is a great tool, uh, Mm -hmm. it is not a reliable source. But what you can do is if you find a topic that you find interesting, you can go to the bottom of the page and go to the references. Mm -hmm. And the references Mm -hmm. will more often than not have um, books, have uh, interviews or articles, um, either, you know, uh, sort of uh, peer review uh, studies or just, uh, you know, scientific interest articles, things like that. And Mm -hmm. those are going to be the sources that you want um, that are actually reputable sources. And uh, so that's usually what I use Wikipedia for. It's like, okay, what are Mm -hmm. these guys citing? Um, But also like, I mean, one of my favorite podcasts and shows is PBS Eons. Um, I always I get so much cool inspiration from that show. Um, but Animal Planet also. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. like if you want good monster fodder, uh, Animal Planet's the most extreme. If you can find any, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, playbacks. It's the, you know, there's a different word for it than playbacks, but reruns. There yeah, we reruns. go. Okay. <laughs> reruns. Those you things that we used reruns. to watch on TV. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> if you can find, if you can stream it somewhere, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that was one of the things that as a kid that really inspired me with science. Um, for sure. Yeah. There are definitely open. a ton of like nature documentaries out there that'll cover. Oh, a yeah. Lot yeah. Crack open an sure. encyclopedia. Just mm-hmm. like, just go down a rabbit hole. That's, uh, you know, really that's the best advice I can give is just, just go down the rabbit hole and see where it goes. Um, but try and get your stuff from reputable sources and also don't make science out to be the villain all the time. Cause yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's my advice to people that want to have a bit more realism in their campaigns mm-hmm you know, and also just, just go and look at the world around you, you know, observe, like that's really Mm -hmm. all scientists are is we're observers. We go out and we look at things and we ask questions about it. And ultimately just going outside, even it's like, sounds like go outside, touch grass, (laughs) you know, but really uh, if you can, if it's, if it's safe and you're able to go outside, you know, go outside and, and, and you might find something inspiring out there. Awesome. Yeah. Great uh, advice there for sure. And ways to find inspiration in the natural world and from people that have, have studied it uh, as well. So um, yeah, again, Reed, thanks so much for, for coming on today. It's been really inspirational for myself and I'm sure for our listeners as well. <laughs> um I do want to give you a chance to talk a little bit more about, you know, what you do and where people can find you. So I'll, I'll shut up here, but uh, yeah. How do our listeners find out about uh, your projects? Yeah. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter at read plays. That's R E E D P L A Y S. And uh, that's usually where I post about, I, I mean, mostly it's like shit posting, let's be honest, but <laughs> I, I do post a bit about my life as a grad student um, and a tutor and uh, also about my TTRPG stuff. 
But um, if you want to follow my shows, my show Twitters are um, at Damos Paradox, which is D-E-I-M-O-S-P-A-R-A-D-O-X. Um, and that is my, that's my sort of first project so it's a little rough around the edges at the beginning until i get an editor later on which Mm -hmm. thank you ian you're amazing um and uh and that one again like i uh, i was talking about a little bit earlier is more of a sort of star trek the expanse inspired show that Mm -hmm. is very much or you know ghost in the shell kind of uh philosophical science fiction asking about the nature of humankind of ai these sort of deep questions about what what does the future of humanity look like when we have artificial intelligence um and uh and then i have uh bring your own mech which is more of a dramedy Mm. Um, (laughs) drama and comedy in the style of uh cowboy bebop and firefly uh, a, a handful of assholes that come together and <laughs> are having having wild science fiction adventures all over the place. Like I said, we fought a um, electricity eating bacteria at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of these last uh, arcs, we had a cool like uh, alternate universe string theory type of thing going on, um, and much much more. Um, so yeah, both both are a great jumping off point from the Lancer system if you're interested in playing it. Um, and uh, yeah, otherwise, I don't think I really have a an online presence anywhere else but really Twitter. I think that's plenty of an online presence. So, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, otherwise, uh, yeah, that's um. Let's see, I feel like I feel like there's something else I wanted to say about it, but. Um, what's yeah, the uh, the Twitter tough. handle for bring your own Mac? Oh yeah, yeah, that's it. That's the thing <laughs> I remember. So uh, the Twitter handle for bring your own Mac is own Mac. So that's um, O W N M E C H. For some reason, I always want to say M E C K. I don't <laughs> know why. <laughs> it's like well, it's just something that always pops into my head now, and I have to consciously not say it not do it yeah um, <laughs> but yeah uh watch our show tell us what you think not watch it listen to it you can't really watch it watch the progress bar on the <laughs> yeah the screen. watch the progress <laughs> bar exactly i love that uh uh, but yeah, really, really great shows. Uh, I was uh, instantly a fan of Bring Your Own Mac, and I definitely need to go and, and listen to more of uh, Deimos Paradox as well. Yeah. Well, listeners, you know, go go check them out. It's going to be over soon. That's the thing. So oh, Deimos really? Paradox, yeah, Deimos Paradox is a limited series. And as okay. always, I, I originally conceived it as just a one arc show, but then I, mm. I decided to continue it to five arcs. So we are in the fifth and final arc now. Um, and i think that we have like three maybe four episodes left but probably more like three so now is a great time to listen (laughs) yeah for sure a lot to catch up on and uh and listen to the whole story that's exciting um i'll I'll definitely have to go check that one out um more so for sure um but again thanks for for coming on today and listeners definitely go uh check them out and, and follow their shows um, and let you let them know what you think about uh, about both uh, both shows there and the ways that uh, read incorporate science into their projects. Um, and if anything's been 
inspirational to you listeners uh let us know let reed know let myself know by reaching out to us on on twitter you can reach them uh as they said uh, on twitter you can reach me at 19 hits the dragon on twitter as well um also leaving comments ratings reviews you know whatever you can wherever you get your podcasts uh helps us out lets me know if you like what i'm doing and we can keep it up and um yeah, the best way that you can help the show grow, of course, is to go out and tell 19 of your closest friends. <laughs> Perfect. Reed, thanks again so much. Yeah, thanks again so much for uh, uh, coming on today. And uh, listeners, thanks for joining us. Everybody, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. And we'll see you all next time when 19 hits the dragon. <laughs> Bye-bye. See ya. Bye-bye.